Hi, this is Kenny Law with the uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Scandinavian Studies, and this is one of our first pilot podcasts that we're doing. And I'm joined by Dag Heide, who's the uh, Associate Professor at University of Southern Denmark, who was just here uh, recently giving us a talk. So welcome, Doug, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, do you want to tell everybody uh, what the paper that you presented was and, and what it is you talked about for those that uh, were not able to join us? Yeah, I'll be happy to. Uh, I called my paper Dead Homosexuals in Danish and Norwegian Literature with the subtitle How to Create the Perfect Happy Ending, which is of course meant a both ironical and as a provocation. What I was really interested in, and this is an ongoing project, so this is sort of a kind of pilot talk, I would say, for a much bigger exploration. Um, I do hope to um, be part of a much larger project, which is writing a, a gay and queer history of literature of all of the Nordic countries. Uh, that would be Iceland, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Denmark. Um, this is very much needed because we, we, we don't have studies. Um, uh, we have some national studies, but we have not even at a national level, or not to speak of the regional level, do we have this kind of uh, these kind of projects. Uh, so I hope before I die uh, that that will happen sometime in my lifetime. Uh, so that is the general frame of the talk. Um, so what I've been exploring in this talk is I have a number of texts uh, dating back to from the 1870s and uh, for, uh, up to today, not quite today, but uh, 2000. And what I've been very interested in is the way the the trope of the dead homosexual or the queer corpse or however you want to put it is being employed in narratives uh, for the last 100, 120 years. What I've been working with is texts not just by homosexual, gay or queer authors but also by straight authors because this is not a trope that is only a a, you know, it's not just the way that the straights uh, portray the homosexuals or a way that homosexuals portray homosexuals, but this is really a consistent trope that I find in writers, both gay and straight writers, uh, in most of the 20th century. And my general thesis, so that is the question I want to pose, is the way uh, the concept of what I would call heteronarrativity, the way that a heteronormative uh, plot, the typical heteronormative plot, uh, requires the death of the homosexual character in order to make a perfect happy ending. So it's not only boy needs girl, but it's a girl, boy needs girl and that's a homosexual threat. And before boy can get girl, or vice versa, the homosexual has to be eliminated. That's like one of the main tropes. Now, the way that the many gay and lesbian writers in the 20th century have in employed this trope, it's a more in what I would, you know, uh, what I wouldn't call a suicidal strategy. Um, and I think the, the homosexual suicide letter, the posthumous know that, that the queer gay characters or real living persons leave behind is, is a 
sort of a canvas for a lot of, of gay autobiography in the 20th century uh, that also ends with the protagonist, the queer gay protagonist, uh, either killing himself or herself or being killed, or, but dying, obviously, in uh, various ways. We only had so much time, of course, when you were presenting uh, your paper at, at the uh, department. Is there something that you really would have liked to say, but you just didn't have time to in that? Yes, but it's not just a matter of time. It's also a matter that I haven't thought it through enough. Uh, it's also, so it's really a matter of preparation also, but I'm really not quite sure how to place the whole uh, theme of AIDS um, at the end of last century, how that fits into that tradition. And I think that is my hypothesis. I do think that the American AIDS literature differs from at least the Scandinavian AIDS literature. We haven't had very much literature concerning AIDS. Um, there's a number of reasons for that. But I think that the in the 80s and the 90s, the spectacle of the dying homosexual or the AIDS dying homosexual, I think was a spectacle that fit quite well into this heteronormative strategy of killing off homosexuals. And you know, of course, the American government's appalling passivity uh, towards AIDS victims that, that you know, that, that, that uh, fits into that, that, that scheme. I don't think that the Nordic welfare states we, of course, also experience AIDS with almost a decade delay uh, compared to the U.S., and we had very different experiences. But I think that what happened at the end of last century is actually that the trope of the dying homosexual is disa has disappeared. I don't think the Nordic welfare states and the Nordic main culture, but this is because this is also a mad and something to, to discuss, you know, in popular culture. I don't, I actually think that at this point, uh, society did not anymore have that passion to see homosexuals die. I think somehow uh, the, the whole AIDS epidemic, uh, in a way, it was too good to be true or, or too true to be good, uh, but my experience in Scandinavia was that the trope has sort of died and made, I, I think that the vision of, of, of the, the, the AIDS-dying homosexual is not one that was culturally appealing anymore. And I think there might be a difference between Scandinavia and the US in, the, in these depictions. Would something like uh, hate crimes and attacks, is that something that would play into f uh, future research, or is that uh, not as big of an issue in uh, the Nordic countries? I don't think it's quite an quite the same issue in the Nordic countries. Um, I believe that hate crime is also maybe more an issue for trans people, um, uh, but I don't see it as quite the issue in the Nordic countries. I might be wrong. It's not quite my field, I have to say. And I have a question here from Bennett Hubbard, who's one of the graduate students in the department. Uh, and he asks, uh, he says, most scholarship on Blixen and other Scandinavian writers has been done in a heteronormative lens. In your experience, how are queer readings of such authors received by other academics, and what issues still exist in discussing the works of these authors with a queer lens? 
Yes, there is a lot of work still to be done. The interesting thing about the case of Kent Blixen is that my thesis, my, my PhD thesis from, 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 from uh, the end of last century, which was published in 2001, is actually the very first time, at least in the Danish context, that queer theory is introduced um, at an academic level, and the, the first time that queer theory is applied to a piece of literature. Um, I think a lot of things have happened since then. Um, there have been more books, there have been more queerings of um, canonical, classical works um, of Danish literature, and I don't think there's the kind of resistance um, that, that, that these kind of approaches were met with when I started. Uh, but I have to say, my book was very, very well received. And then because, but that has also something to do that Karen Dixon's work is incredibly queer. So applying queer theory to exactly this this piece of work was, in a way, an overdue um, process. Um, we have, we still have debates. Uh, we have Hans Christian Andersen, where there are debates. You know, not. O- only about his sexuality, but also if 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 queering is an appropriate method. And I I felt there was much more. I've been working on Hans Christian Andersen as well, and I felt much more resistance to queering a national icon like Hans Christian Andersen than queering the works of Karen Blixton. But that has also something to do with queering Karen Blixton. You really look at the work and you see potentials and you see almost necessary ways of just understanding at least the the earliest Karen Blixton text, Seven Gothic Tales. Whereas queering Hans Christian Andersen is a different matter because it's also in a different way implies the person of Hans Christian Andersen who really clearly was not heterosexual but if you have to put a label on it he was probably homosexual if you want to put an anachronistic label on it and Hans Christian Andersen has a, such a huge iconic status in Danish culture that um, questioning the masculinity and the heterosexuality of such a person uh, I feel there's much more resistance to that okay. well your talk was wonderful and we thank you for coming uh, so people that are listening to this where can they go to find out more well unfortunately I've not been very good at publishing in English but uh, you can a- absolutely read my books on Herman Bach and Karen Blixen and um, uh, Hans Christian Andersen in Danish if, if you master um, if you master Danish I'm afraid that's all I can say <laughs> no, that's very helpful is there a, a faculty page at the university yes All right. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, we look forward to your next work. Thank you.